What's going on, everyone? Welcome to the first exclusive video for Season Gaming patrons. So first, thank you. What you're going to see today is the first of what I'm calling Open Conversations, which if you're familiar with my industry perspectives interviews are kind of similar in format, but really I wanted to sit down with bigger names in the industry, developers, people who manage or run outlets, et cetera, rather than just creators, and give you some insight into the, their background, how things are made, how things are managed, maybe a story or two that you haven't uh, heard before. And who better to start with today than Colin Moriarty, who was uh, one of the key members of IGN early on. Uh, he grew Podcast Beyond to, to kind of what it was, what it is. He was a founding member of Kind of Funny Games and has since gone on to create his own last stand media company and runs the number one PlayStation podcast in the world in Sacred Symbols. So he has been always been an outspoken member of the gaming community, uh, maybe uh, misunderstood at times. So what I wanted to do was sit down with him, have an open conversation and just kind of see where it went. So we did that for a little bit over an hour. I hope you enjoy it. This is the first of many to come. Please, as always, uh, reach out, provide feedback. I want to hear from you, um, you know, what we can do better or where you'd like to see things go. But for now, enjoy this conversation with, with Colin. Hello and welcome to the first Open Conversation exclusive video for Season Gaming Patreon members. And in my first conversation, I have the distinct pleasure of sitting down with someone who actually helped put the bug in my ear for Patreon to begin with. And that is the head of Last Stand Media and longtime industry guru, Colin Moriarty. How you doing, sir? I'm well. Thank you for having me. Appreciate uh, you uh, taking the time to talk to me today. I, 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 uh, I like to take invites to uh, podcasts and have interesting conversations with people. So thank you again for thinking of me. Of course, man. Of course. Um, it's funny you you the way you said that, because that's exactly what I thought when I was kind of going through potential guests and everything. I was like, who can I sit down and have an actual kind of deeper interesting conversation with and you are near the top of the list uh um, thank you for a lot of reasons which we'll obviously get to here shortly um for anyone tuning in uh <laughs> it's kind of a funny day for us to record so we've had this plan for a little over a week week and a half what have you a couple weeks and uh it just so happens that we're recording this on tuesday the 18th in the afternoon and uh the huge announcement of microsoft slash xbox purchasing activision blizzard uh just occurred a few hours ago so uh, that is obviously kind of taking the industry by storm today. But to be completely transparent with you, this is not a topic that Colin and I talked about talking about or discussing. No, um, no. It just happened to uh, end up that way. So before, you know, obviously the main conversation I want to have is about yourself, your, your kind of journey in the gaming industry, last stand and, uh, you know, all, all the things that go into that. But. Before we get into that, um, I'm sure, you know, obviously in Sacred Symbols and everything you do, you're going to have a long conversation about this. Um, <laughs> do you want to give your quick, uh, quick overview thoughts on uh, this announcement this morning and kind of just how kind of bonkers it really is? Yeah, I think it's a uh, it's crazy. I run the biggest PlayStation podcast in the world. So this we, <laughs> we recorded a show from from that kind of perspective today just to talk about it. But I was saying on our show that. I'm just looking at it from multiple perspectives. I think from Microsoft, it's an incredibly positive thing. I think for, for Sony, it's an incredibly negative thing. But I think from, first of all, as a player, I, I keep talking to myself as being like Neo from the Matrix, where I keep dodging bullets with Microsoft. I didn't, I don't really care about Bethesda. I don't really care about Activision games. So they're not hitting me as a player, which is good because uh, I play on PlayStation primarily. Uh, but I think that Microsoft has moved into the category of malign actor now, in my opinion, in the games industry. Um, 
I think that their long history of throwing their money around is in some way enticing and and it allowed them to, to to thrive and it allowed them to get the things that they did really positively into the industry on our show we were talking about how i think microsoft was revolutionary with xbox live uh with uh-huh. uh, xbox live arcade and even putting games on disc that you can buy digitally and obviously insisting on putting an ethernet cable or you know a, a broadband cape port yeah. into the xbox which was very risky at the time when dreamcast for instance had a phone port so hmm. they've done a lot of really revolutionary things but there's no doubt from a creative standpoint that they are pretty much they have a massive deficit and whether it's from acquiring halo during development for xbox whether it's associating themselves with bioshock and mass effect and titanfall and these games that they didn't actually make uh all these kinds of things it, it kind of sets a trend in my mind where i'm like okay this is what microsoft is i guess they're not interested in playing small ball they may maybe shouldn't be interested in it but i don't really respect it and i think it has massive unintended consequences for the way games are marketed the way games are bought and sold and i'm surprised that people are so eager to hook line and sinker go down the subscription model uh route when there's a lot of positivity to be seen there, but we, of course, have seen the collapse of a la carte offerings in the streaming services with movies and TV. We once envisioned this glamorous and amazing thing where you can do whatever you want, and now we just have 10 subscriptions. So we're basically just paying more now for what we used to have. And I feel like gaming, I feel like there's going to be a, a, some sort of bait and switch at some point that we're not expecting in terms of pricing, <laughs> in terms of availability. And so from as a PlayStation fan, I don't really care. As an individual gamer, I don't really care. But as an industry analyst and someone who cares, and I own a studio, um, I don't support, you know, this at all. I don't, I don't, I, and I, I certainly hope Sony doesn't acquire any, any teams in response. I, mm. I just don't want further mergers and acquisitions. I think it's just, it's, I think it's scary. And um, Microsoft has a long history of doing this both inside and outside of Xbox. And I don't necessarily think it's uh, something to be celebrated. And I'm, a little concerned and confused by corporate cheerleading mm. of any kind. So it's just not a not a thing for me. Yeah. Yeah. Interesting and fair points. And I I figured you would have quite a bit to say on it. And I'll be sure to check out your episode, obviously, where I'm Thank sure you. you go into a lot more detail about it. Um, it is. It's, it's you know, there, there's always knee-jerk reactions to these types of big big announcements. But the, the fact of the matter is that there are a lot, a lot uh, of consequences, things that will come downstream you know, ripple effects, if you will, of things to come for years. So uh, it's going to be very interesting to watch this unfold. And I think um, it's not as it's not as simple as just saying, oh, OK, now there's more developers here. Uh, there's a lot of uh, kind of ancillary things that go into these uh, these deals. So, uh, man, yeah, just crazy timing. Uh, yeah, definitely having this conversation. It's really interesting. So. Interesting times. I, I can't can't complain. <laughs> yeah. And we'll come back. Uh, there's some things I want to ask you about kind of the modern gaming industry. Again, funny time uh, later in our conversation. But before that, sure. let's let's go backwards. So I always like to start at the beginning because uh, we are seasoned gaming for a reason. We joked about that when you know, you and I talk last. And uh, first of all, I am, um, you know, just uh, unhappy with you in the fact that I didn't realize how much younger you are than me. So now you're really <laughs> making me look old, Colin. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> but uh born in 84 in long island um, yeah long island new york yeah fantastic so um I, I grew up outside of philadelphia mostly an east oh, cool. coast tri-state area person and uh, my best friend growing up who i still talk to is from long island so when i saw that and kind of doing my research on, on your history i found that kind of funny so do you still are you still out that way i forgot to ask you where you currently kind of are located. I'm, uh, yeah no i'm in virginia now a lot of my family okay. uh relocated down here off of long island over the last okay. 20 years so my sisters are both here my mom's here my aunt and uncle are here cousin 
Okay. Um, so I'm in Central Virginia now, and I before that I was in California for like 14 years. Sure, um, sure. So, uh, yeah, I'm just living like a suburban, you know, uh, <laughs> middle of Virginia life. It's nice. I, okay. I like yeah, yeah uh, I'm the same way outside of Kansas City, and I do. I like it too. It's just kind of where we end up, right? Definitely. Um, I, I'm I'm over living in the city, and I'm over, you know gratuitous rent and taxes and all that i'm just I'm done. no doubt no doubt um funny enough i see you wearing the uh the jets shirt so that's yeah. uh, definitely representative there yeah. um <laughs> um so it, it you know and kind of doing my research looked like you got into the gaming industry and, and obviously i apologize because i know being uh, a figure such as yourself in the industry you're going to feel repetitive with a lot of the things i asked okay. you today so i'll apologize in advance but um what i really found interesting looking back is you know you began freelance if i have all this all correct of course you began freelance with ign in 2002 and that was after kind of getting a name for yourself or writing things for game facts at the time right um which when I started kind of reading this, I'm like, man, not only is that 20 years ago, but the state of the gaming industry at that time is so vastly different from what it is now. Definitely. Um, so what what kind of got you into that? You know, as you as you grew up as a kid and kind of got into gaming and began kind of seeing this this passion for this thing that uh, now has kind of you know encapsulated your your career. Uh, wh where did you begin? Like, what system games? Uh, what kind of got you into writing about games to begin with? Yeah. So. My brother is 11 years older than me, um, and uh, we have two sisters in the middle, so I'm the youngest and he's the oldest. And he's a huge nerd. He's an animator at Nickelodeon okay. now, awesome. but um, he and he's an anime and animator art nerd. But he's the guy that got me really into games. And when I was a, a little kid, I used to sneak into his room when my parents would go to bed and watch him <laughs> play or play with him in the late 80s, early 90s. And we always talk about it. we have great memories of playing Final Fantasy 2 4, as we would later know it together sure. and me really falling in love with um like the old dragon warrior games used to come yes. with inserts with like the maps and the enemies and i used to just pour over that and just draw them and i was just really into i was really into like the the semantics of games and the the technical writing around them and mm. just really loved buying strategy guides and you would get as you remember i'm sure you get nintendo power and you get a little of perk course. First of all, they'd have the guides in them, but then you get a perk where it's like, oh, get the Super Mario World strategy guide if you resubscribe or whatever. So I, I just really got into that stuff. And then when I got into the Internet in the mid 90s at home, I just kind of fell in love with I was into PlayStation magazine uh -huh. and they had a really cool like online hub. And I started meeting people. If you go back to old PlayStation magazines, it's funny. They used to have these things in the back where you would put your name and your email address and what you were into, like a classifieds. And I'm in those like you can go find my name like I'm in that <laughs> shit. And I found people that way and I started writing for fan sites and in 10th grade, I started writing for GameFAQs and I did that for three years just for fun. And when I had graduated high school and was about to go to college, IGN reached out to start writing strategy guides. So when I went to college, I uh, went to Northeastern University in Boston. I, uh, I freelanced for IGN that entire time and I was actually going to go to grad school and they offered me a job when I graduated. So mm. I didn't end up going to grad school. So yeah, but I, I started in those kind of those early NES and SNES days and was a huge Nintendo fan. I still am a huge Nintendo fan. I just consider myself lapsed at this point. Sure. And, um, like and then I got us. in the PlayStation because I'm an RPG nerd. So I, I got really in the PlayStation and then PS2, PS... And then professionally, I just happened to have... It really kind of just worked out that I had professionally started covering PlayStation and mm. at IGN when I got hired there and became an editor. So that's just kind of the beat I fell into. And before you know it, like 15 years pass and it's like well you're <laughs> considered like a foremost expert now of this brand and i that wasn't the intention that wasn't what 
my life's goal was. And when I went to IGN, I was a strategy guide writer. I wrote 94 strategy guides for IGN. So, wow. um, so I had I that broke me eventually. Technical writing kind of broke my brain eventually, and I just couldn't do it anymore. Sure. But, but I did that for a long time too, and and uh, I would do anything to to succeed. And as I always say, I just busted the door open off the hinge when IGN gave me the opportunity. I just knew what kind of opportunity that was, and I had to take it. So that's how it all started. Yeah. Wow. Yeah, that's really cool to to look back on. I'm sure, especially as IGN is the kind of conglomerate it is now uh, compared to what it was then. I remember being on the IGN mess uh, forums or message boards back then, uh, working my shift at work and just chatting with people. You know, before the vestibule. <laughs> yeah, exactly, exactly. So, uh, yeah, but I mean, no doubt. I think that that kind of era of PlayStation has always been one of my favorites. Uh, when you look at PS1 and PS2, especially if you're into RPGs, JRPGs, it's just unmatched. I mean, it's just absolutely glorious how many amazing titles are on those systems. And that Definitely. era was just something special. People talk about SNES in that same way, and I agree to an extent. You have the Quintet games, of course, a lot of Squaresoft and Enix stuff. But yeah. but I think, yeah, you're right. PS1, especially from like 97 to 99 or 2000, so really an asinine amount of good role-playing games from yeah. a very small group of publishers like Namco at the time, Squaresoft. You have games yep. like Tales of Destiny and Wild Arms and mm -hmm. there's just a thousand arms and there's a Xenogears and Brave Fencer Musashi and there's a sh just on and on and on and it on. Just goes. And I, I was just in love with that stuff when I was a kid. Beyond the Beyond uh, was even a game that was like bad, but I was like, yeah, it's a JRPG <laughs> in 3D. You know, like I, I would take anything yeah. at that point. So I don't want to pretend that it was, it was all good, but it was really an exciting time to play games. And I don't know if it's just a nostalgic thing. I think it's just, that was when that genre was kind of coming into its own. So I was really, it was, I, yeah, I think it was a number of factors, right? Because you had PlayStation kind of new to the scene. Um, obviously that what happened with Nintendo and especially Nintendo going the cartridge route, which we're not going to cover today. Um, but PlayStation had this tremendous opportunity they built, especially within Japan. Right. And I think all those developers and publishers really making a name for themselves just seemed to, it was the place to be. Definitely. Um, so, and to get your game on and it just happened to work out, especially for players like us that it just, you know, ended up resulting in this just absolutely fabulous uh, collection of games, which I used to own so many of, and I just wish I never sold it's, it. Make, it depresses me every time I think about not owning those games anymore. I, I did the same thing. I used to sell my stuff to Funko. Um, yeah, or, exactly. Or back to EB or software, et cetera. I sold my entire SNES games collection when I bought my PS1. Um, mm. which was just the <laughs> fucking stupidest thing. And I remember thinking that I remember that they would give you no less than five dollars per game at EB. So you so it seemed like a good deal because it's like, oh, NHL 94 or NBA 95, whatever. Right. And they would just give you five dollars for each of them. But then I remember it was like, oh, twenty dollars for Chrono Trigger and fifteen dollars for Secret of Evermore. Exactly. And I looked back at that and I was like, oh my God, I got fleeced. But <laughs> yeah, so I, I regret that as well. But that's that's what you had to do as a kid to have the economic viability to play games i guess you did yeah that's how many of us did it um so right so you get to uh, ign uh, or get hired i think full-time at ign around 2007 right. um big editor by two or big editor that's not a title but editor by 2010 uh senior kind of editor or lead by 2013 so obviously kind of ramping up with ign growing there obviously one of the uh I couldn't uh, remember if obviously Podcast Beyond grew mm. at that time as well, and you were an integral part of that. Were you there when Podcast Beyond started, or did you come? On I was there, it? but I was not on it. Um, okay, yeah. So I didn't join Podcast Beyond I think until the late nineties in the episode okay. numbers. Yeah. Wow. Okay. Um, still, you know, that's as many episodes as they have now, right? Long, long. Yeah, range. we did it from like the late nineties until it was like 
almost 400 probably we tried to buy it wow. from ign when we left but they wouldn't did sell you really it. Oh. yeah yeah we, we tried but they wouldn't oh. sell it yeah <laughs> that's interesting i didn't know that i don't blame them but yeah we we tried we offered them good money for it but i i feel like it's no offense to them but i just feel like it's not even the same anymore it's like i don't, I don't even understand why you would want to call your show it's the same thing with ps i love you my other old show where i'm like just rename it it's not the same anymore but they want to they obviously want to you know bank on that that uh that name so yeah i didn't sure. found podcast beyond but i'm often intrinsically linked to it and i'm, yeah. I'm honored by that it was a, it was that show gave me my career basically that's awesome that's awesome yeah it's kind of like those uh those bands who you know release a new album six years later and three of the four members are new you know right it's like, exactly it's about the same yeah. band <laughs> yeah breaking benjamin is a band that i really like that where it's just the singer and like a whole new and i'm like so it's not the same it's just you now no like, yeah I, I don't like that either that bothers me as well yeah exactly um <clears throat> and of course i think one of the uh one of the things i want to talk about today and i'm sure you've uh talked about it ad nauseum so uh you can definitely stop me if you don't if you don't want but um you know obviously became close friends with a lot of the bigger names there and uh founded uh left to find kind of found excuse me kind of funny uh with a, a original patreon in 2014 if i have that correct yep that so was that was September yourself 2014 when we founded the patreon and we left january 2015 yep Yes, like. yes, exactly. Left IGN then. Yep. Mm -hmm. And so I, I know that, um, you know, the conversation around kind of funny in yourself with uh, Greg Miller, who have Tim, Tim Geddes and Nick Scarpino, um, you know, became kind of a, a big topic in the industry at that time. And it's funny because I look back on, you know, several years ago now and, and I was covering the industry and paying close attention to everything as I do now. But I don't remember like all the intrinsic details of, of that uh, and what happened there. So I wanted to ask you directly since I have the Pleasure speaking with you today that, you know, as you reflect on that now, several years removed, right? Mm -hmm. And Last Stand Media has taken off. You, you know, we'll get to that, of course, and how successful that's been for you um, and everything you've accomplished since then. Um, but when you reflect now on that time when you kind of left IGN to found kind of funny, that's a tough phrase for me to say. Yeah, it is. <laughs> um, and and what kind of what... Uh, led you to parting ways uh with their both creatively or whatever you know else was going on um how is that for you to look back on now are you kind of pleased with the way it went down do you still have regrets are there you know anything you would have done differently are you happy for everyone and how it worked out like what do you think yeah i think um it's been almost five years which is crazy it'll be five years in march all right since this all went down and yeah i look back on it i think about it a lot i mean it's 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 kind of one of those indelible things or things that indelibly let's say mark you and sure. affect you and almost give you like ptsd in some <laughs> way but yeah i look back on it and i'm 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 both fond of what we did and happy with what we did and i'm certainly happy for their success i i don't wish them ill at all but um i think that i made the right, certainly i economically made the right decision but i think apart from that i made the right decision just creatively i didn't we left IGN to not be IGN, not to turn right. into IGN. And I feel like now I, you know, when I tune in and look at what they're doing every so often, it, I'm like, this seems like IGN. Uh, it's too happy. It's too boisterous. It's too corporate. It's just not what I wanted. And I look at that first year or year and a half of kind of funny full time, which is like 2015 into the summer of 2016. It's like a real golden era of our content at that time it was awesome. And when we lost sight of that as, I started to become unhappy, but I'll also say that I think Donald Trump broke the industry. His election broke many people's brains and that kind of <laughs> yeah. funny wasn't immune to that. And 
I think that as a notable and vocal conservative in the industry, a lot mm -hmm. of people started putting a lot of that shit onto me. And mm -hmm. I started to kind of crumble under that weight, especially because I would often go to bat for Trump voters, especially. And there's a famous video of me circulating still on YouTube that of me kind of going into like why I think people vote for Trump and all this. And people, it really resonated with people, although I'm not a Trump voter. I don't care if you are. And I think that very fact, I still feel that way. I don't give a fuck who you vote for. <laughs> um, is that differentiates me, but I also think that that was something that some people couldn't tolerate. So by early 2017, he was sworn in. I started doing some political appearances. I was on Glenn Beck. I was on mm -hmm. Dave Rubin. I did Joe Rogan um, and a few other things. So it kind of just started to break apart. And I think I, I told a shitty joke, a stupid joke about yeah. women being, which I don't regret because I don't think anyone was really offended by it. But it was the reason why I think people just kind of character assassinated me at that point. And I just looked at it as a way out. It wasn't necessarily in hindsight what happened that mattered. It was just the straw that broke the camel's back about, you know, Greg and I weren't really getting along. I didn't particularly like one of the co-founders uh, okay. that I was working with um, or really have like professional respect for what he was trying to bring to the table. It's okay. hard to kind of work in that environment. It's also difficult sure. when... You're, for instance, saying like I had a I was actually uh, under like a book, uh, an early book deal with a big publisher uh, when I was at IGN and later on and walked away from that and then tried to start getting another book off the ground. And they kind of wanted to like a cut of it and shit. And I'm like, I'm not fucking doing this like this, this weird socialistic. I don't know what was going on. Right. So <laughs> it started to like set in my mind. My value is actually higher than what I'm even being given credit for and I feel like I'm being shoved to the side although I am arguably one of the most important components of this content and so I was like fuck it I'll just go off and do my own thing and so that's that's what I did and I needed to get the political stuff out of my system especially because I had so much I don't want to say anger or rage because that's not really Colin but I had a lot of pent-up emotion about the way people were treating me and about the way people were categorizing the types of people that I knew and grew up around. And and you said you, you're up, you, you're in around Kansas City. I mean, it's the same, it's the same situation on Long Island. It's a conservative, pretty conservative place. And um, I didn't like how personal it was getting. And I didn't like how, um, I mean, it's kind of borne itself out and proven itself out. I think kind of funny as explicitly said, like, we don't want Trump voters. We don't want Republicans. It's like, cool, man. I, I was one of you. It's a little mm -hmm. weird that you say that, but um, at the same time, I think that in going in different directions, everyone kind of got what they wanted or seemingly so. The only thing, the, the regrets I have, I have personal regrets about my severing of, of my relationship with Greg and Nick and how that might have been changed. Sure. Um, and I, my regret, the biggest thing I felt bad about was how badly I injured the company. I don't I think I actually underestimated my value when I left and I I really cratered them for a while and that wasn't my intention and if I can go back and undo that I would show try to show people that I wasn't leaving to hurt them I was leaving to help me right and sure. both things happened but I didn't intend for that and I never wanted it wanted it to come off that way so that's amongst the regrets but uh everything's kind of worked out like I I'm I'm really loath to fuck with the butterfly effect in any way because um <laughs> it's brought me to this place, right? Every bad thing that's happened to me, every horrible encounter, mm -hmm. crying session or painful moment or whatever, my entire life brought me here. And yes. so I'm not gonna, you know, carry on with the regret too much. It's more personal. It's it just like, oh, it's too bad that it had to end like that. That's yeah. more of that kind of thing, yeah. 
Yeah, it's it's funny you say that. Uh, I was having a conversation with my wife, and uh, we've been together a very long time now, and go back, and you know, a, a lot of things of circumstances that led to us coming together were not the best. Uh, and, and people always ask, do you regret those days? And it's exactly what you said. It's like, oh, there's a lot of things in life I, I look back on that I would have done differently. But to your point, I am here now in the happiest place of my life. I'm successful. You know, why, why would I change anything uh, or want to change anything? Because you never know if I would have ended up the same way. So I think that's a very valid point that people need to consider when they start to get a little too uh, emotional about regrets and things that have happened in the past. But. Yeah, I get I get sentimental sometimes. Not so much about kind of funny, which I don't I honestly don't really miss being there. I get more sentimental about IGN and mm. I, I I lament how bad it some of it has become to be honest with you like it's almost it's kind of horrifying some of it and uh, I that imagine. i that i feel yeah. more bad about than kind of funny which can take care of itself it's like i because like you said i was with ign from when it was five years old to yeah. you know deep into the teens and i my dna is all over that site and i'm yeah. i'm proud to be still one of the biggest people that's ever you know or one of the most well-known editors who have ever worked there and I care, so I care about that brand, and it's I. I am more sad to see what it's become, <laughs> um, and how badly it needs saving. But I don't think they know internally what to do about that. And, and as long as they keep hiring the kind of people they keep hiring, they're not going to solve their problems. It's so big now, it's. I mean, it's just yeah, yeah. I I can see that. It's got to be a strange feeling to think about. Um, cause I can only imagine back then, as we said, the gaming industry was very different. It was much smaller. There wasn't the social media space. Um, so being there kind of near the beginning of what IGN, uh, was growing into be all the way through their growth. Um, and then looking at it now as to what it is, that's gotta be kind of a strange thing. I'm sure. Yeah. It, so. I, I think the thing that honestly, like it doesn't get to me, but I think the thing that I think about sometimes is how rude and mean a lot of those people are to me now that like work there that didn't know me and mm -hmm. how I have like a totally different relationship with the old guard that do know me and how I feel like the disregard and disrespect of my legacy there is, is so strange from people that are frankly riding my coattails there. Mm -hmm. So it's, um, and are often compared to me negatively. So it's, it's, that bothers me a lot because it, it's not peaceful, but I didn't start the combat. In fact, I'm not even really sure what it's over. But it's what I said earlier is that I'm the closest thing a lot of the people have ever met to a Trump voter. And so uh, <laughs> that's that's why they don't like me. And that's how, why everything came apart. And shit, I'm not even really welcome there anymore, which is crazy. I tried to record a podcast there for my own show in 2018 and was told mm -hmm. you're not really welcome here. You know, wow. like, are you kidding me? Like, <laughs> I was the senior editor of this website. Yeah. yeah. Um, but OK, you know, wow. I guess no skin off my back. It's, you know. I'm doing way better than them. So as for a per capita, so I guess I can't be too mad, but I would like for everyone to do well. And it's sad to see, you can see the kinds of people they line up to these different websites and he's just like, Oh yeah, this is going to fail. And yeah, that's, <laughs> it's kind of crazy. I, I definitely want to go back to your conversation because being completely honest with you, which is what I want these conversations to be right. I, I never followed your content back then to, to the kind of minute degree that I do with some people now. It just, wasn't top of mind at the time but I, I can tell you as you already alluded to just being someone who kind of followed the industry right i knew that your name had an association with it for being a little more outspoken being a little more political um in regard to or as compared to other people right um because i think there's the video game industry has always had or at least uh you know people uh who write about or talk about games have had a 
trouble walking that line of saying, okay, we we either don't say anything political at all, right? Or um, you've got to line up with uh, a certain aspect of, of the political spectrum. Um, and I think someone like yourself uh, is probably more of a rarity, at least, uh, you know, the things you commented on in this space. I mean, you know that better than probably anyone. So yeah, I do find it interesting because you, you made some comments there around it's it's not so much around um, trying to think how to word this like it, it's this. The sad fact, I think, is we live in a country, especially in America that I'm referring to, right, where you have left and right. And it's always this team and this team. It's two. Right. Um, and I think that the sad matter of fact is if you even try to explain why you can understand why someone on one side would do something they do or vote the way they do or believe what they do, that automatically uh, a percentage of people will make an assertion that you are X type of person and it puts you on this, uh, you know, this out, if you will. And it sounds kind of like that's what you were alluding to is that, you know, regardless of who you personally, whatever your personal beliefs are, you and who you vote for and what you say, um, the fact that uh, you've commented on how you can understand people in certain uh, environments in this country uh, being Republican and or voting for Trump or any other Republican candidate. Um, I think just saying that alone uh, causes kind of concern among some people uh, within the industry. You think that's fair? I think that it, you're right. I don't think it's fair. Oh, but well, I think it's yes, but yes. I think it's fair. I know what you mean. Yes. And yeah, I think that's a fair assessment of the situation as it stands. What's funny is that and it's almost impossible to remember this, but it's true and there's pictures and video evidence galore of it. I had a Ron Paul sign at my desk at IGN. I had okay. a bumper sticker <laughs> uh, a huge bumper sticker on my desk that was an Obama sign that said honk if I'm paying your mortgage. Um like all sorts of shit. Um, and it never like it honestly never started beef with anyone no one cared when ron paul lost in 2008 i put like a 12 over it and, and kept it on that is true and no one cared and okay. it was actually kind of like my advantage i wrote from a conservative point of view mm -hmm. and not even so much socially because i'm really not socially conservative but more of like economically conservative uh in terms of things that were traditionally i guess old school like berkeley leftism mm -hmm. freedom of expression and the right to disagree and the right to offend and all that kind of stuff. I used to write about that stuff all the time. And certainly it gave me a reputation. But as I said a couple of years ago, much to many people's consternation, the last notable conservative writer in the industry was me. Mm. And that just doesn't make sense. I quit eight years ago. And there are conservatives that play games. There are Republicans sure, that play games course. and Christians. Sure. And there are people with these perspectives that are just treated like they're others. That they don't belong, they have no voice, uh, they should be embarrassed or ashamed of being Catholic or Christian, you know, a Christian sector, they should be embarrassed or ashamed of having voted for Trump or living in the Midwest or living in a rural area or coming from a red state or whatever. And I'm just like, that wasn't always like that because I was that person and no one treated me badly about it. And in fact, it was my pardon the pun, it was my Trump card. And I found it really surprising when I left that that vacuum was never sought to be filled and i think that mm. that created some sort of monotype in the industry wherein people hire themselves over and over and over and over again <clears throat> and then you have just total misrepresentation of what gamers really are I, I read some of these sites and i'm i wonder who are you talking to who are you even writing to i don't understand 
but then you but then you do understand why Kotaku is failing. You do understand why Polygon is an afterthought and all these things. And I find the political and ideological stagnation of the industry and the kind of the, the whitewashing of it to be really pernicious and really strange that a person wants to be identified as their skin color or their gender or their sexual identity or whatever they're attracted to, but don't want to be the person. And that's what I'm most interested in is the person and what's behind the the, the skin and the skull and in the brain. And they're way too worried about, is this person black? Is this person trans? Is this? And I'm like, that's fine. That's great. But what about ideology? What about philosophy? What about economics? What about the things that make us tick? Mm-hmm. And I think many of these people are ill-equipped to deal with those issues. They've never been fully challenged. They didn't go to a liberal university like I didn't had to defend myself constantly because I did, you know, and iron sharpens iron. And I think that one thing I took for granted coming up was that people were constantly challenging me academically, constantly challenging me with my writing and my podcasting and all that. So I just became pretty sharp. And I think a lot of these people are just dull as shit because they <laughs> they don't they don't they don't get challenged. They won't even dream of it. And that's why I offer to invite people on the show all the time to have conversations. Most people turn me down, but I don't necessarily blame a lot of them because I would disseminate. I would just, I would just dismantle, rather dismantle them. Yeah. And that's not because I'm smart. It's because they're weak and they don't practice and they don't get challenged. And, and it makes me look good. But what I keep saying to people is that I just sound different. It's nothing more than that. It might be people like me or it might be, whatever but you would think someone something would turn on in someone's head and be like what is it that this guy is doing where his patreon is has more than 12,000 subscribers that's interesting let's let's just shame him and call him a bigot and <laughs> alienate him and ruin all of his contacts and burn all of his bridges and try to ruin his life and that was their that was their reaction to it it didn't work but i had to bring myself up and do it on my own we do it without pr contacts we do it I sold my own, my first, the first ads on sacred symbols. I sold myself. I didn't know what I was doing. Mm. It's yeah. uh, so these things have ramifications when people alienate and isolate you and put you in a pocket and then refuse to explore the reasonableness of that pocket or that geography that I was trying to lay out. Then they effectively ruin everything. And it was only through luck and perseverance and, and hard work that I survived that. And that's a real shame because. I think IGN and places like that were at its at their best when there was conflicting views, when you didn't really know what people were going to say, when sometimes there were opposing op-eds. I remember very clearly putting up op-eds with the exact opposite being said in another op-ed the same day, and I loved it. And mm. I feel like they've set a tenor where audiences don't expect that anymore. They don't really respect the people that write or do the stuff there anymore. They're kind of just like placeholders. When I think about IGN, when I worked there, no, I'm not trying to offend the people that work there now, but the names that I worked with and the names that are there now are very different. And that's not, again, through a lack of talent or anything like that. It's that they're not speaking to an audience. And part of speaking to an audience is being broad and open-minded and fair. And I was always those things. And I didn't let that, the experience change me. And I wish that um, some people would take, take a look at that and realize that, I mean, it's good for my business that they don't, but it's just obvious that it's just it's just people want to just hear something a little different. They want to hear a different point of view. They don't want to hear corporate cheerleading. They don't want to hear uh, constant political stuff and have Palestinian flags put in their face on IGN and have it's like they re, people that because they live in San Francisco, they live on Twitter. They think that this is normal, but it's not. And I think I just speak more for normalcy, frankly. And I think that maybe <laughs> that's that's what's different, too. Mm. 
lot, a lot of points there. Um, yeah, sorry, I'm I going could, on no, no, you're fine, man. I appreciate <laughs> it. Um, I, I was going to say, I'm, tr I'm trying, I should be typing while you're talking to make sure I remember, because as you're talking, there's certain things in my head that I want to kind of uh, say back and I'm going to forget some of them, uh, unfortunately. But one of the things I did want to say that you kind of touched on in a broader sense there was uh, that you made me think of, right, is one of my um, very close friends who also happens to write at my site. Uh, we play games all the time. We talk all the time. You know his family. I mean, one of my very good friends. He is a very, very avid Christian, just is. I mean, it's a foundational part of his life. I am couldn't be more opposite, meaning I'm non-religious, I, uh, I basically, you know, couldn't be further from religion, uh, in my beliefs, but, uh, we are very close. And one of the things that he says all the time that I like to reiterate, which you kind of touched on there, like I said, in a broader sense is that no matter what your belief is politically from a religious perspective, uh, various other things that we use ca to categorize each other overwhelmingly as human beings, we have a lot more in common than we don't. Um, these, these are just beliefs, right? Whereas we are all human. We all need love. We all, uh, have passion about things. Uh, there, there's a lot of things in our day-to-day -day lives that, um, we all need and want and cherish, uh, that we share. And I think, uh, you know, we're getting into a much more outside of gaming conversation now, but I think that, you know, some of the things you touch on there kind of, um, uh, approach those subjects, which is, uh, at the end of the day, just because someone believes X or they do X, uh, as long as they're not actively hurting someone else, obviously, that goes without saying. Um, but we need to remember that. We need to remember that we share so much more than that we have differences. And I think that uh, that applies to gaming and applies to many things. But I think that, uh, um, you know, some of the things you touched on will be a lot better in the day to day for all of us if we all try to remember that a little more. I agree. And you're absolutely right. People want peace and prosperity and sort of universal quality. And I'm just a pacifist by nature, uh, not to get too political, but I was a really rah-rah about the Iraq war. And I learned a lesson about neoconservatism and, and all of that. And I've long been, you know, a pacifist and don't want combat, don't want violence, don't want, you know, uh, this uh, unrest in the streets or, and certain, so certainly don't want people disrespecting each other. And I have, I think people have every right to self-categorize themselves, put them in whatever silos they want to be in. But I just choose not to live that way. I don't want to limit myself to a certain group of people. Are they vaccinated? Uh, did they vote for Biden? Uh, uh, it's like, who, I don't care. And I think that 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 answer, I don't care, is is insufficient for a lot of people in mainstream games press, which is why these things continue. What I mean by that is... Uh, an answer in tr for trans people in gaming, for instance, right? The common answer to that is going to be, I don't care. Do whatever you want. It's exactly what you said. Like, I don't care. And uh, that often is like, well, but I'm trans in gaming. And I'm like, yes, that's fine. I don't care. And mm. and you know what I mean? Like, on and yeah. on. Oh, I'm a, I'm a black woman, indigenous woman of color in gaming. And I'm like, I don't care. It's yeah, not that yeah. I, don't, I don't care that that's what you feel is important to you, but I don't care. Yeah. And yeah, your I, don't care is taken as you don't care about them when in fact your don't care means it doesn't apply meaningfully to your opinion of them. No, it doesn't. It doesn't, you know, for not that I like to bring this up, my, you know, my girlfriend is black and mm -hmm. it's like uh, Micah who you've spoken to. Yes. And it's like, we don't, 
it's not relevant to me that right. she's black or white. It's like I love her. It's who mm -hmm. she is. She can be an alien in another body, and I'm gonna love <laughs> that person. I know her, right? And I've said before in the past that you know I grew up on Long Island, very diverse place. Black friends, Hispanic friends, Asian friends, and I was saying to people that in the 80s and 90s, and maybe you can relate. I don't know, but we weren't really talking about this stuff. It wasn't like, oh, your black friend is coming over, or you're, you, have to be, you know, like it was just right. like you, this is. And now everyone's like, why eyes wide open? It wasn't until college that I started thinking about it. And I'm like, oh yeah, I did have black friends. Does that mean something? I, I we didn't really talk about it. it. It seems like the things that are in, um, you know, these characteristics that are. I guess what I'm saying is that these characteristics aren't important to me. Because it doesn't make the person. Your skin color doesn't make the person. Who you love doesn't make the person. Uh, how you identify or your pronouns. I don't care. And if that's not good enough for people, because that to me is the biggest compliment for me to say, like, I don't care. Do it. Oh, yeah, that makes you happy. Great. You know, you yeah. want to. And, and that's what I say, not to get too crazy with it, but that's why I say, like, legalize prostitution, legalize truck. You're like, I don't care. <laughs> I don't care. It, it's like you said, just leave me alone. Leave my property alone, my rights alone. Otherwise, do your thing. And the thing that I feel uh, about this, and I think you would agree, and you were kind of saying it, is that this libertarianism, this small L libertarianism, is very common in the games industry. And I'm surprised that people are not more interested in talking about it because I think some of these figures conflate a person's indifference to their transness as being transphobic. But actually, the indifference to their transness is that this is the 21st century and they understand that that's the way it is now. Mm -hmm. It's very similar to a person being gay or a person, you know, there's no segregation anymore and all that kind of stuff. It's great. We've moved on. We're moving. We're, we're, we're evolving. We're becoming better. And I feel like a lot of these conversations, a lot of these sticking points are bringing us to the past or, or renewing old wounds and, and doesn't, they don't focus on the, the totality of an individual and what they might be looking for in content. I find it really tiring. It's no surprising to me that people don't want to read and watch and listen to this stuff because they're told how bad they are all the time and they told mm. they're told how disastrous things are all the time and they're told how down and out people are all the time and that those things might be true but this is supposed to be about video games so is there anything fun about video games or is there another point of view about video games or is there another story to be told you know and mm -hmm. i don't know if that's making sense but i feel like for me it's incredibly relevant that the homogenization of politics has brought down the level of discourse, has yeah. removed the, the the gradient. It's amazing that in the era of Twitch and podcasting and the renaissance we're experiencing right now, that some of the content is worse than it's ever been. And it doesn't make any sense, <laughs> right? And I'm talking about IGN yeah. that used to write about babes and booth babes and yeah. used to write, I think the fucking Grand, Grand Theft Auto San Andreas review is literally like 5,000 words or something like that. <laughs> and that that was better than this. <laughs> and that's crazy to me because it should be better than ever now. Yeah. And uh, I think a lot of that has to do with ideology and, and just the sealing off of ideology um, yeah. and, and, a, and a lack of fairness and a lack of fair play and and kindness um, benefit of the doubt. And I think I know about that and learn my not that I learned a lesson because I've always been kind to people and I've always given people the benefit of the doubt. In fact, that's one of the things that frustrated my detractors in the industry so much were people being like, Colin's perfectly nice. And they, it just didn't compute. Mm -hmm. Right. And uh that just shows a weakness of mind and character. And hmm. uh, these kinds of conversations, any kind of conversation help ameliorate that. Yeah. But the closed off nature of all of this stuff and kind of how everything happens in their own little verticals, 
means that it just gets worse and worse. You know, that's a funny jumping off point for me to jump in because I will tell you again, being completely honest, uh, when when you and I first interacted on Twitter and you invited me on the show and I said, uh, absolutely, you know, I'd love to come on and talk with you. I had multiple people uh, reach out to me directly, DM on Twitter and say, you sure you want to go talk to Colin? Uh, you sure you want to do that? Do you know what he's going to ask you? Do you know? And and I told them, I said, look, uh, whether well, no matter what he asked me, I said it's just a one-on-one conversation. I'm looking forward to it because I think um, for me, it, it's a similar mindset of what you alluded to, which is even if we don't believe the same thing, that's okay. Sitting down and just chatting is is the point. Um, and, and you don't even have to leave the conversation agreeing. On if you're talking about a specific thing, that's not the point. It's talking and looking at another person, understanding their viewpoints, or trying to further understand their viewpoints uh, and how they came to those viewpoints and what leads to those viewpoints. And uh, whether you're talking about games or anything in life, I think that's important. And I think to your to your earlier point, you made several minutes ago around uh, kind of being challenged and being forced to think differently um and uh you know kind of having people counter you not to counter you to make you look bad or feel bad or anything else but just to counter you to challenge your predisposed notion of something i think is very important um and so i i just found it very funny uh, the uh that you commented on there because i was thinking back as you were talking about when we first interacted and people were like you sure you want to go talk to colin you know he well i think they ask you these things and it's like it's okay I, I remember that too. And, and as you know, because we did the show, I, I emailed you and I was like, let's just put some positivity out there instead of continuing the negativity. Yeah. And I think some people are wary of me because they know I can be a buzzsaw and I am, but I'm never trying to make people look bad. I just want to have like a bunch of different conversations from all over the ideological spectrum and that tell stories they people not, might not want to hear. I put up an episode of Sacred Symbols Plus last week with a dude that was me too and yes yes um, and he hadn't talked in five years and i got him to talk and it's not really about me it's about him and whether you whether or not you take anything away or believe him or not that's up to you but i think the audience knows what i'm trying to do so there the the thing that see the thing you're talking about with your friends or your associates or acquaintances is that they're trying to tie you down and trying to tie you to someone and that very pernicious idea like i said earlier kind of emanates out to the audience so they don't expect that those kinds of conversations are going to be had. But my audience knows that when I have Vincent Janito on, who is me too, who's, yeah. you know, whether you believe him or not, that's not about me. It's about him. Yes. And when I have uh, Philip Mewson on, who plagiarized in a yep. catastrophic situation, and I had him on for an interview, that's about him. It's not about me. Just like when the Frost-Nixon tapes happened or the Frost-Nixon interviews happened, it wasn't about <laughs> how Nixon's a good guy. It's a fucking interview. And mm-hmm. I keep telling my audience, you're adults. You can take out of whatever you want out of any of this. You're not going to agree with me all the time. I'm going to annoy you sometimes. You're going to hate me sometimes. (laughs) But what we're going to continue to do is to have just a, I never want you to know what's going to happen, what's going to come next. And I'll tell you right now, like we have uh, conversations lined up with, or already in the can. I did a a big episode about unionization, which is something in the industry that I've been totally against. I did a pro-union episode to hear the side of that. Um, I'm having an EIC over who I have a, 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 a website who I have a completely negative relationship with this website. We're going to talk about that. So like, I'm trying to just be like, you never know. And that's the thing that I think is boring is like, Oh, you turn this shit on. You know, you're not going to get challenged. You know, you're not going to hear something that's going to make you uncomfortable or make you, or be provocative. I might even lose patrons. I lose patrons all the time Mm -hmm. over the decisions we make, but we have to 
continue to push those boundaries. And I think having these kinds of conversations in just an air of fairness and avoiding that game of telephone that makes me look like, you know, a bigot, like, uh, like I'm George, you know, from the Confederate South or something like that, um, <laughs> which is totally removed from reality. Yeah. But this is you and I interfacing is what solved our problem. And it's, it truly is that simple. Yeah. And hopefully these kinds of conversations set a nice precedent so that maybe more and more people are open to them. And I think it's getting to the point where you'd be open to it or you die or you fail because mm. I don't think people are interested in that shit. And I think unless you're scraping SEO and really working Google and stuff like that, what is, what is your, where do you, what is your avenue if not interest? Right. So, yeah. Yeah. Fair points. Fair points. Um, I, uh, yeah, I don't have anything further to add on that. I think it's, uh, I think that's how, well, I will say, I think the type of conversations like we're having now and that, that these types of conversations are necessary, they're necessary for all of us. Um, and I wish, uh, yeah, I wish more people were were open to having them. But may, maybe they are, and they're just, you know, need a little nudge. So. Yeah, I, well, that's the thing is, <laughs> I often, I'm a journalist by nature. I, I tried to turn that part of me off, but I still chase stories. And with the the EIC, I'm going to be re, uh, recording with in a couple of weeks. Uh, I was talking yeah. to her, and I was, and she was like, I, I, "This really doesn't seem right. Like it's against my instincts." And I'm like, "I'm I'm telling you, you're not going to be sorry you did it, right? <laughs> and like you're not, you're just not going to be sorry." That you had this okay. conversation and a similar thing I, I interviewed jeff ross and that goes up he was the director of days uh-huh. gone I, I i put that up next week and he walked away from the interview and i went and emailed him and i'm like listen dude here's my pitch to you i saw you do a couple of interviews and the questions they asked you suck and i can ask you much better questions so come talk to me and so sometimes you have to prod them and but but out of that comes fascinating conversation and through lines and and philosophies and and all of that and I just don't understand why people wouldn't be interested in that. I guess that's what doesn't compute to me is that I love that <laughs> shit. So yeah, yeah, it's like, yeah, we can talk about how great at game X is and that's fine, but there's much more below the surface and o- that can yeah. only be gotten with like a pickaxe and some time. And, and yeah. I just don't think a lot of people are interested. In, and, and so my hope is, is that more and more people are interested. And I especially hope that the new generation of people that realize that the, the generation ahead of them are failing will realize why that is. Yeah. And you know, I, you commented on it, but I think that, uh, you know, as the industry has kind of um, gone to the point where it is more surface level, I won't even use the word journalism, right? Because <laughs> it's one of the things I write on my site is, uh, and part of the reason I founded my site is is exactly that reason is I felt that gaming journalism, proper journalism, was just going away. Uh, it's just all these quick hits and easy takes, and no one wants to have a, a deeper conversation about uh, the, either the gaming industry or specific topics within the gaming industry. Um, and, and you just see that a lot. It's funny. You mentioned Polygon earlier. I had someone reach out to me the other day about something Polygon. And I said, they, they've been gone. Like, this shouldn't be surprising. They, they've, they've been gone. They're, they're pointless right now. No, I, um, I, 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 that's what I don't understand about how these places are even surviving, personally. Knowing the economics of the way IGN works, I can kind of understand how that place survives. But I just don't get it. Like, yeah. I, I don't know how this is working. And I, I think a lot of it is happening with technical writing, SEO scraping. Yes. And all that shit. And that's, you know, re- republishing trailers and all that. And that's fine. But there's a purpose behind that. But people aren't going to go to you for that. They're going to go to whoever has it. They want to yeah. go to you for what you have to say. They used to go to IGN to hear what Greg had to say. Right. Yes. And me and others. That's kind of the intrinsic link that I think um, some of these sites need to to pay more attention to. And I think IGN learned a hard lesson when we left, not because we left and that hurt them, which it did, but because they realized that they are not treating their talent well enough and most of them left. So now yeah. they're left with, you know, the more, let's say, risk averse amongst them. Yeah. 
Yeah, risk averse, good way to put it. Yeah. Um, all right. So um, that was great. See, th this is why you don't script interviews. We were joking about that earlier, right? You yeah. don't get these types of conversations if you have templated questions. So, um, <clears throat> so let's get back to uh, let's get back to gaming, and we'll we'll okay. move over to when you founded uh, what was Colin's Last Stand, which yep. is now Last Stand Media, uh, 2017. And as you uh, you touched on earlier, which is just amazing to me, so I'll just say congrats. Is you have passed 12,000 patrons. Um, which is just, you know, hugely successful. So it's absolutely fantastic. Um, <clears throat> and obviously, Sacred Symbols, as you said, is the uh, number one PlayStation podcast as well. And there's uh, Defining Duke and some of the other content you guys provide. But what has that been like for you? As someone who runs a small outlet, I, I explained to you, you know, my my mindset around the outlet. It's not my career. It's, it's something else. And it's, uh, you know, an ad-free zone, and we talked about all that previously. But, you know, I always love to look at other outlets, other people, creators making it themselves, the type of content they produce, whether it be YouTube, site, et cetera. Um, how has that been for you in terms of w the things we've discussed, right? Like the the freedom to do what you want to do with that and to produce the content you want to do and the response to it. I mean, I, I have to imagine based on what you just said that it's been almost uh i won't say enlightening but you know just really eye-opening to the the freedom that it's probably provided you would that be fair yeah i think that's fair i i um i almost can't believe it lined up the way it did i know that a lot of that had to do with hard work and talent but i also know that a lot of that had to do with luck and time like just mm. you know serendipitous timing so i'm always one of those people that try to say i'm good but i'm lucky as well <laughs> it's, sure. it's it's a little bit of both I feel like with um, with Last Stand, it's it's nerve wracking because it's all <laughs> we have. What we have three or four, well, including me, four full time employees and like eight freelancers. It's mm -hmm. a lot of people to feed, and mm -hmm. it's a lot riding on it. When I interviewed Vince, for instance, about the Me Too stuff, I talked to the whole team because I and I wanted to get all of their blessings explicitly because I knew that this. I know that the decisions I make can affect all of us, and. That I think has been the biggest eye-opening part of it for me is, uh, along with all the business stuff I've had to learn, and I technically own two businesses because I also own the developer as well or mm -hmm. co-own that, um, and I also do consulting now too. So there's a lot of different things in the fire, but with Last Stand, I think the secret is decentralization and kind of letting people do whatever they want and also insisting if they want that people do whatever they want on the side. <laughs> These are all lessons that I learned from IGN. IGN tried to kill kind of funny in the in the crib. They tried to stop us from talking about games, which we didn't. That's why we left because they wouldn't let us. All mm. these different things that and I try to also compensate my people very well, including with big bonuses. I don't I don't know any freelancers in the entire industry that get bonuses, including thousands <laughs> and thousands of dollars. So um to me, I I look at that and I say we just have to kind of consistently check these boxes. I, I, I refer to us as a machine gun all the time. We just no no jams. We, we the shows go out. The shows are high quality. People can rely on them. And I think with like you said, defining Duke, finding partners that can run their own show and bring their own flavor. Defining Duke is very different than Sacred Symbols. It's not just an Xbox podcast, and that's the difference to PlayStation. They're totally different shows, right? With totally different tenors, like. We're on sacred symbols. We're very dark and sardonic, and and I, I a lot of people think we're really negative. They're much more bubbly and upbeat on defining Duke. So, I think by empowering different people and what they bring to the table, and then letting them drive, 
I think has been really good for us. And I really want to encourage others out there that are interested in being an entrepreneur is just a happy staff and a happy group of collaborators are those that are compensated, rested and respected. And it, it, I remember at IGN feeling like I would only hear from people when something was wrong. And I really, really try to remember that. I never got messages saying like, damn, Colin, the history of Naughty Dog is fucking nuts. I can't believe you wrote a 50,000 word history of the studio. It would be like, oh, the link is broken on page three. Yeah. And I try to not do that. I try to say, congratulations. Good job. Well done. Whether on Discord or email, just little things like that. And I think that it, incre it increases the product. It increases people want to be there. They want to do it. They they want to they want to be part of it. And while I learned some of that from IGN and while I learned some of that from kind of funny, there's no doubt that we've just created our own thing and, and do our own thing. And we are the template by which others model their Patreons on um, in the game space. And that's a great honor. I was a little worried when those guys left Giant Bomb next lander uh -huh, and, yeah. and they made their Patreon and they and they were starting to rise. And I was like, oh, man, they're going to pass us. But they didn't. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, that was that was big news too. I yeah, think, that was uh, when they were going up like a rocket. I was like, "Oh man, we're done at the top. <laughs> We've been at the top for so long." But, but, and what I tell everyone always, and I, I'm sure you tell your collaborators and workers and yourself this too, is that you just earn it, just earn yeah. it every day. I never try to take it for granted. I want to earn it. I answer every email myself. I answer every DM. I answer all the comments. I comment on every video. I try to just be involved and accessible in some way too. So I think there's just a lot of different secrets to why. The brand works but um i'm really proud of it and I'm, I'm especially proud of the fact that we proved that you can have what we call micro community you don't need ign couldn't survive on twelve thousand paying subscribers sure. but ign would also never attract twelve thousand paying subscribers it's not the it's not the model that they work in and that's crazy and it just shows the different different economies of scale and the way they work but we're really proud and we wouldn't be able to do it without all the people that work for us like dustin especially is um basically runs the company. I always get around that Dustin maybe will fire me one day or something, but, <laughs> but yeah, it's, it's, it's good. And we're, we're proud of it and it's slow and steady. And that's the thing too, is just slow and steady, not getting ahead of our skis from a business standpoint, no debt, you know, none of that. So right. it's just, right. it's all, yeah, we, we try to run it real sharp. Yeah. It's, it's interesting. I, I love hearing the kind of viewpoints there. Um, one of the things I stress, and again, we're, we're different uh, in the way we're structured, much smaller, um, but to your point around, uh, which ties into our previous conversation around allowing the contributors to write what they want to write, like be passionate about what you're going to write. And if it's controversial, it's controversial. Um, but as long as you have passion and kind of knowledge and it's well-written and well thought out, and well constructed, then by all means, that's what we should be focused on. Um, in fact, that's a big reason why we started this Patreon is so that, uh, you know, long term, we just started last week, so it's, you know, next to nothing right now. But hopefully, uh, as it grows, the whole point is to encourage and to support our writers to do more of that, right? More of the content that is unique and that they love to write, um, because I think that's that's the key to it. If you have people that are just churning out meaningless fodder on a daily, weekly, monthly basis, I mean, there, there's nothing to that. It's not going to that doesn't do anything for anyone, in my opinion. Um, I, I remember at IGN when we would get assignment. I didn't get these assignments too much because I was more, a little more senior, but once in a while you get the assignment and be like, we need to write SEO capture stuff. Uh, everything we know about last of us, everything we know about <laughs> call of duty. Every, yeah. know, and I'm like, Oh my God, this sucks. And I don't remember, <laughs> I, I wrote a bunch of that stuff, but I don't remember any of it. 
I, what I remember yeah. are the things that I cared about. And so you're absolutely right. By encouraging people to write about what they care about, I think that there's a confluence of interest because they want to write it. They want to be there. They want to be compensated. They want to be rewarded. And the audience wants that stuff because they want the passion. And yeah. anything else just won't do. It's it's not 20 years ago or 15 years ago anymore. It's just it has to be better. And yeah. 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 yeah I think that's fair. So, so I wanted to uh, kind of talk to you as well around move over to kind of the the well, before I get there, actually, is there anything you want to say further about Last Stand, what you guys have coming? Um, anything else about Last Stand itself before I move on to a broader topic? No, I think I mean, we're proud of it. You can come find us if you want. Uh, we're there. Everything's free, too. So you can go on YouTube or podcast services. We just mostly pay for early access. And yes. Um, yeah, we're, we're, we're very glad to have more and more people coming and checking it out. But otherwise, I'm not I'm not a very promotional person. So <laughs> okay. they can find it. They want. <laughs> um, so I wanted to go to kind of the broader topic. And, and again, we, we touched on some of these, but really where gaming is now, as we sit here beginning of 2022, um, when I was I did a show recently where we were talking about the 20 year history of Xbox and I had some Xbox creators and some people from the site. And we just kind of talked about the evolution right over the past 20 years. And as we did that, um it i mean i always think about this stuff because i'm in the tech industry i'm a tech guy but when you look at the last 20 years it's really truly accelerated over the last say four to five uh and gaming has changed exponentially in the past few years and i think it will continue to into the future especially you look at uh, companies like google and amazon got to throw their hat in but you look at the cloud infrastructure behind the scenes there right of what they're building upon uh you look at tencent which is mostly kind of eastern focus but you know their their tentacles are getting into everything obviously the conversation we had this morning about microsoft and xbox and their tentacles stretching out further and further um but also accessibility, right? The ability and the thought, I guess, for gaming to be literally everywhere, on every device, on every screen, accessible by anybody. Um, when you think of gaming today, do you really love it? Um, in the sense of, do you think we're in the golden age now and continue to be as, as, the, as technology advances? Or are there aspects of gaming, say, from 20 years ago, like we were talking about PS1, PS2 era, that era uh, that you miss, you know, that you get kind of reminiscent about? Or, you know, do you think just everything's better right now? Um, I think the potential for everything to be better is it increases every day, right? Like, because most, if not all, of the relevant games that we would point to 20, 30, 40 years ago are playable now in some way. It's hard to say that things were better in 1990 than they are That's now true. Because, we, yeah. because we would be relegated only to those games. As much as Mega Man 3 is my favorite game of all time, which is a 1990 game, but it, it would be hard for me to be like, oh, I wish I can go back to 1990 because we'd be limited, obviously, and curtailed yes. by that time period. But I think that many of the trends of the industry today are bad and okay. that I do miss a lot of things. I miss the finality of a product. I miss <laughs> getting something that worked or at least worked as well <laughs> as it was going to. Right. And it's incredible because I think a lot of younger gamers, especially, they just don't even know that world. They don't remember mm -hmm. that world at all. And that world existed and you'd buy a game and it would be what it was. And sometimes it would be good and sometimes it would be bad. But I kind of miss that finality. Like you felt like you were getting the actual product. They weren't going to switch something. It wasn't going to play better in two months. I mean, everyone waits now or not everyone. A lot of people wait and just don't even play games immediately because they want they know they're not going to get the, the most optimized version until 1.3 or something and then they'll finally <laughs> roll out the patch that it should have launched with to begin with so right. there's been a lot of positive changes i like the accessibility the barriers lowering i'm not crazy about the price barriers lowering because i think that 
that creates um, a lot of garbage and a lot of shovelware. And I think that's evident. I think Apple basically destroyed, almost destroyed the gaming industry doing that. And that's why I'm wary of Microsoft and what they're doing with Game Pass for the same reason. But there's no doubt that more people playing is good. Gamifying things is good. We saw hints of this shit even in the 80s and 90s with fantasy football and fantasy hockey and baseball kept by hand. Later on, you saw things like uh, like Foursquare and others where you would check in going to places. They, they, people have <laughs> been trying to gamify things. Obviously, the achievement and trophy systems with meta games. Yeah. So it's cool to gamify things. I think it, it convinces people. Um, well, I think two things. First of all, it can, it can be really positive for people gamifying, for instance, fitness or productivity. But I think uh -huh. the other thing is, is that by doing those things, you show in reverse people that are otherwise skeptical that there is something to games. And however you get them in, I think is good as long as we're funneling them towards the good products. And it's not not that there's anything wrong with Candy Crush or anything like that, but not hopefully not stopping there and seeing that there's more depth and breadth to games than than people realize. So there's no doubt that games are getting better, but some of the stuff is not getting better. And accessibility, of course, is one of those things, especially on PlayStation side without a streaming solution for old games and all of this. But generally speaking, it would be hard for me to say that it's ever been better than it is right now because we have all that stuff plus what we're getting now yeah yeah i agree um i i think when i look back on some of the fun times and memories i've had it's 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 kind of the nostalgia kicking in right sure. um and i i will say that i do miss even though we have it in kind of micro groups i will say that there was a time which i'd always look back on fondly where being a gamer or being into video games uh it was a niche group Definitely. you know at a time it, and it felt like you were part of a a band of brothers, uh, if you will, where um, when you found someone wherever you were that was also a gamer, it's like you immediately bonded. Um, and I feel that's, you know, I feel that's lost some of it. I, I still I have that happen all the time, but I feel that it's lost some of that meaning um, that it used to have. But of course, like I said, that's mostly the nostalgia talking. So, Well, I, I agree, though. I think there was something to growing up in a time when I would get slapped in the back of the head for reading Toy Fair at the lunch table or something. You know, <laughs> someone was walking by or yeah, it's, it's, it's hard to explain to people that a show like game of Thrones being as big as it was, would be impossible to imagine when we were young. And, yeah. and not only from a, the perspective of, of the, the zeitgeist of it, but the money spent on it and the quality sure. of it and everything about it. So it's a, it, in some way we paved the road and people even before us paved it even more. Yes. But, it is. I do miss that as well. I think you're right. And yeah, that is a little nostalgia talking, but it's why this co this conversation about gatekeeping, I think, is so complicated because there's there's a positive to gatekeeping. There's no doubt. And and I feel like people are like, no, don't gatekeep. Let everyone in. And I'm like, I don't know. That's not always true. That's not always good. Uh, be careful what you wish for. But at the same time, can't deny that broadening the base of gamers is 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 positive for the the industry and for the hobby as a whole we just don't want it to like we don't want it to be bottom up we want it to be top down you know like mm. let the good games trickle and let's not borrow any more from the games at the bottom which we borrowed so much from whether it's microtransactions free to play freemium that kind of stuff yeah. when the yeah, yeah. Uh, pay to win that we can thank apple for all that so yeah yeah that those aspects are frustrating and they they obviously get a lot of commentary but um yeah, it is. I agree with you. I think uh, it's going to be, again, we keep saying it's going to be interesting to watch this unfold or continue to evolve. And I think that's always the nature of things. Right. Um, but as, uh, you know, Game Pass or all these other subscription services, uh, AAA development, as we said, it's just it's growing in terms of um, complexity and cost 
and Definitely. resources, you know, that are needed. I mean, all of us are aware of that, but it, uh, how do you balance that properly? And how do you ensure that you can still create a God of war, um, you know, without all these other aspects? Uh, and I think, I think, you know, you talk about this way more than I do, but I think PlayStation, generally speaking, with their first party has gained that reputation for that reason, right? Like when you get a PlayStation first party game, generally speaking, from one of their bigger studios, you know what you're getting. It's going to be quality. It's going to be polished. It's going to tell a good story. It's going to be finite. It's not going to have microtransactions. Um, I think that's a, a general kind of consensus. Again, I'm generalizing, but I think you get the point I'm making. Whereas there's plenty of studios out there, uh, we could point to an endless amount of them, where, okay, uh, EA has a new game coming out. Okay, what's the catch? What, 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 what am I going to have to sign up for this? Or what, how much of the game extra am I going to have to pay for? What's the season pass? You know, all these other questions I get asked. Whereas, um, you know, the games like Spider-Man, like God of War, like I said, the things that have been really successful for PlayStation, they've been fortunate uh, in the sense of, They've been very successful in terms of what was almost referred to as an older model now, which is just selling your game right. as it stands. Um, so it's I think my biggest concern looking at the future is how they balance that. Uh, and that goes for all companies is how you balance creating these AAA quality experiences with all of these different models that we see infiltrating games in general. Yeah, I'm, I'm worried. I mean, that's what I said at the top. I'm worried about it. I, I don't. I don't know how Jim Ryan and others can say just a couple of years ago, this isn't sustainable for us to do a model like Game Pass and now they're going to do it. Mm. Uh, I, I think that things change, but $200 million, 150, well, 200 million is a little expensive, but 100 to $150 million games are normal. That's just what AAA games cost. Yeah. And, and more than that, easily, uh, a God of War or The Last of Us is more than that. And, yeah. and it's hard to make that money back. And yeah. if you're having a subscription service and loss leaders and all of that, and you're playing the long game and you have your modelers trying to figure out how to extract value out of this. And Microsoft just has the means to do that. Sony doesn't. I think Sony's biggest trump card remains its quality, as you said, and they might start losing that edge too, because there's no doubt that Microsoft has had a total dearth of quality games in the past, but that's not so much the case now. And it's, I right. don't think going to be the case in the future. So uh, Sony should be scared. I mean, I've said that many times on sacred symbol. Sony should be very scared. This is a, an existential threat to not the company, but to the brand, the way the brand functions. I don't think PlayStation yeah. is going to disappear, but a, a, a moneyed interest saying, no, we're doing subscriptions. We're doing them. Mm -hmm. Like we're all doing them. Bending the arc again is exactly the way that I think Microsoft wins and Sony loses and why I think that Sony needs to make sure to keep the, an eye on quality because it's the only thing that separates them at this point. And yeah. if they lose that edge, then I don't know what they have. Uh, I mean, they have awesome games, awesome IP. I love them, but people are fickle, and I don't blame consumers for being fickle. I'm fickle as fuck with a lot of things. It's, <laughs> it's no, no skin off my back to be like, I'm not buying this anymore. I'm not doing this anymore. And I think a lot of people feel that way. I, I, I don't. I, I would go down with the PlayStation ship because I've been with it so long, and it's just that's just what I do. Yeah. But, but people want to be where their friends are. People want the best value. People want the best games and all that. And God, can you look at Game Pass and? and how much it's disrupting everything. But I don't think the disruption will necessarily be good. So we'll have to mm -hmm. see. Yeah. Very interesting. Yep. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> so you, you mentioned a couple of times and I forgot to bring up earlier, but I did want to mention as we're talking about game development, seems like a good time of the, the developer that last stand media owns that you own. Um, so if you wouldn't mind, uh, only because, um, you know, I want to be educated on well as well, just so I know, 
but can you just talk a, a little bit about that developer um kind of where it is what what you have coming in the future uh sure. you know any, anything you want to say about it i think it'll be interesting for the audience yeah no i'm i'm very happy to talk about that yeah the studio is called the lily mo and it's based in canada it's co-owned by me and uh the majority owner barry johnson who's the founder and programmer designer and okay. we um we make old school games we make arcade games and actually we're our newest game is not gonna be an arcade game we're actually working on a, a japanese style role-playing game like a, a bigger nice. budget game but we typically our first game was a side scroller our second game was an arcade game our third game was a brick breaker our fourth game was an arcade or a sequel to the second game so and now our fifth game is going to be a remake of the first game and it's awesome we're really excited about it but we just got involved in the like 2018 2019 barry was a listener of mine he showed me his games and we just started kind of shooting the shit and i started pitching ideas for writing and i've always wanted to write a game okay so uh i i'm basically just ended up kind of in the creative lead of this you know push comes to shove yada 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 i became the the lead like the the creative lead of the team so i write the stories and the dialogue and the lore and the, the enemy stuff and all that so some <laughs> of the games are really thick with it some of the games aren't some people don't understand what we're doing with some of our games some of them do twin breaker for instance was a, a brick breaker but we put like a really huge story in it because we wanted it to be ironic that like a game like <laughs> this would have a story some people understood that some people didn't herboxia right. and herboxia 2 are much more fluid arcade shooters much more casual so we are it's it's been really eye-opening and fun to understand how games are made uh, yeah rather than just talking about them you know i have dev kits and we have all this software and access to all these interesting things and i can't use all of it i can't like talk about a lot of it um because it's under nda like some of the mm -hmm. secret stuff that's behind the scenes which is frustrating but true so i have to kind of balance what i talk about and what i don't just on my own shows but it's, it's it's certainly good background information for me about how things work and how much more difficult it is than it seems. <laughs> That's exactly what I was going to ask you next. Is that is um, you know the I have some very old experience coding and stuff, and you see so many takes on social media about oh just fix this and just just do this with games, and it's just mind numbing to me. Um, but I have to imagine that uh, you know someone like yourself who's now gotten to kind of see how the sausage is made, for lack of a better phrase um it's been uh, eye-opening as well kind of saying wow this is uh this is something it is and also being on metacritic and getting your shit reviewed and interviewing as a developer and sure doing appearances and media tours it's it's been really interesting and we've i just dump all the money that i make from the games back into the company so we're just i'm just doubling and tripling down on the game on the next game over and over again and cool um we're excited about it it's it's just it is it's cool and it's cool to have like a moby games entry and know that i wrote these things and mm -hmm. some someone someone out there enjoyed it you know so it but the critical reception has been interesting too because i think it's softened me a little bit on my own criticism about oh, okay about like you said things are not easy it <laughs> almost anything you can think of in a game is there for a reason or the choice was made for a reason in our role-playing game that we're making now we use game maker as our engine and game okay. maker doesn't we wanted to originally i'm telling you a lot here that we haven't talked about yet but Hey, um, that's great. Yeah, so we're, <laughs> we want to make it a trilogy of like maybe three 30-hour, 16-bit style role-playing games okay. that are interconnected. And we were talking about doing save files that are shared. And we're like, okay, this should be super easy. 
just mm. there'll be certain indicators from the first game of the things you did will drag it into the second game and so on and so forth. And the reality is, is that it simply will not work with our engine. There's just no way it can happen. And oh, okay. there's no workaround. And that's frustrating to us. But that's the answer, unfortunately, is that like we can't. And I, so when I read things, I'm like, this is broken. Or why did you do this? Why did you do that? I'm just a little softer now where I, <laughs> I understand because some people just think they know what they're talking about and they don't. And I've certainly been that person in the past. So. <laughs> So yeah, I try to pay it forward a little bit with that, but it's been a great experience and and I hope to, you know, what I call soft retire one day in the future and just be able to focus on that. But that's, that's sure. far, that's in the far future. Okay. Yeah. yeah. That's cool, man. I mean, we joked about it earlier, but 16 pit JRPG is, is, uh, uh, God, that's a, that's a love story for me. I could talk about a lot of those for forever. So keep me posted on that. Oh my God. You're going to love what we're doing. I mean, yeah. I, I, it's, it's, as soon uh, as you can show it, please let me know. Yeah. We have some of it running already. I'll show it to you sometime soon. Okay, um, but it's uh, yeah. If you like Final Fantasy four, Final Fantasy six, stuff like that, you're gonna love legendary it. games. Yeah, Final so. Fantasy two is. I I actually told uh, now I'm gonna share too much. I actually told someone this the other day. I think Final Fantasy two. This is not a joke, so you can feel free to laugh at me. Whoever sees this, um, but I think Final Fantasy two is the first game I might have ever gotten emotional over or like cried over. Well, like Cormac um, Palum when they when they sacrificed. Yeah, yeah, and you know you had the relationships. It was just it was just. It's awesome. It, it was so far beyond the other games we were playing at that time. Um, oh my God, yeah. And, and, yeah. And Final Fantasy 2 II and 3 in the US, of course, mm-hmm. will always, always, always hold a special place in my heart. Uh, in fact, I, I'm one of the people that believe Final Fantasy 3 is the best Final Fantasy. And I, or 6, you know, I take that to, uh, to bat all the time. I agree. I totally agree. I think it's one of the six and four are easily the best. And uh, yeah, four is funny because there's. There's death in it. You see Rydia's mom die in the beginning. Uh-huh. There's obviously betrayal with Kane and Cecil. Kane yep. continues to betray the party. You have Rosa's love triangle with Kane and Cecil. Sid's <laughs> yeah. relationship with Rosa. Wow, you're bringing back memories now. Yeah, Porm and Palom sacrificing themselves. Those are like my yes. favorite characters. Because I love Porm and Palom. I, I tell people all, this, all the time. I think they're five in the game, like five years old. Oh, And okay. I love that. Because you picture these adults mm-hmm. like armor you know cecil with his he's like yes, paladin yeah. and all this and then they have little kids with them that are like these massive powerful magic users and you just imagine the way that would work if you like can visualize it like they're they're lining them up and like putting them there and pointing them in the right direction and they're casting <laughs> this amazing magic i love the way that game made me think yeah and um oh yeah so final fantasy 4 is it's phenomenal I'm, I'm just waiting you know those pixel remasters that were announced for yes. ios and steam they will inevitably come to console and i, I can't wait for that because i want to just get the platinum trophies in all six of those <laughs> you know, that'll be fun yes yes i know quite a few people who are waiting for those as well but yeah you just brought back some uh, further memories about two for sure four we i hate that we have to do that constantly two four yeah three six it, um, I've, I've just totally <laughs> gone over to calling them four and six now because yeah it's too confusing yes so in in four um yeah, so many memories of that game, man. Just so many. Uh, and I think what was so unique back then, of course, was that they were they were they were covering these complex themes and relationships and betrayals and uh, love stories and all these things. But you, they were these little just sprite driven characters, yeah. you know. So it didn't. So people on the outside who didn't invest in these games, you, they didn't understand. You know, it's it's just one of those. No, things. I mean, Final Fantasy IV deals with awesome themes like cowardice and like Edward is totally afraid and yes and. and Final Fantasy VI is the same way. We have a lot of odes to six in our game. But yeah, it's funny. It's exactly what you said. Like the, the time investment, like people. That's what I try to really focus on with some people now in my life. Uncles and others is just trying to get them to see 
Mm. what it is because i feel like there's so much value there for them but they just can't understand it they just refuse to <laughs> they refuse to see it as anything deeper and yeah. that's their choice but it's a shame it is yeah it is feels it feels like we're we're overcoming that curve slowly as the maybe one of the positives of the gaming industry growing like we were joking about is is that right eye-opening definitely so. and also parents having grown up with games really now putting yes. imparting them onto their kids i know that's a big thing with my brother and his son like my my nephew Graydon, my brother Dagan's kid is playing like Mega Man X and Shovel Knight and all this stuff. I'm like, wow, this is amazing, Zelda. So I think a lot of that's nature versus nurture as well, which yeah. will be good. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I agree. My my youngest is 16 now, and uh, I still remember when he he was maybe eight or nine. He hundred percented Rayman Origins. Remember when they brought Rayman mm -hmm. back? And those are fantastic. Games. Oh, those are great games. Yeah, I played those on yeah. Vita. Yeah. Oh, me too. Still have it. Um, long live the Vita. Definitely. Um, <laughs> but uh, he hundred percented um, uh, Rayman Origins, and I was just so proud of him. I'm like, because it's not an easy game to hundred percent. No, either. it's that game's hard. I I, <laughs> I didn't platinum it. I I remember beating it, but I there was a few that I missed. That's a tough game. It's the same thing. Like my uh, my nephew Declan, who's fifteen or he's sixteen now. A couple of years ago, he beat um, Cuphead, and I was like, what? yes. One of my favorites. I, 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 Cuphead is so hard that I, I didn't even, <laughs> I love it. But I actually, when I got to the third world, I'm like, fuck this. I'm not doing this. And I just watched it because <laughs> it was so beautiful. And I was like, you really beat it? And he showed me. And I was like, this is inc completely incredible. So, yeah. yeah, the kids are coming up sharp, ready to go. It's good. Yeah. I'm excited about that. Yeah. It is for sure. For sure. Well, man, um, we've been talking for a while. I'm, I'm actually kind of surprised at the range of topics we covered today, but it's yeah. been an absolute, uh, Absolute pleasure chatting with you, Colin. Um, really appreciate you coming on. Uh, appreciate the conversation. Appreciate the willingness to, uh, you know, you mentioned it earlier about, you know, responding to every email and DM. And I have that same mentality. I, nowhere near as many as you, I'm sure. But I just feel that that's the right thing to do. And um, okay. it's funny that I didn't comment on it when you said it. But uh, nothing drives me crazier than um, just trying to reach out to people and, uh, you know, just getting crickets constantly. And it's like, it's not that hard to respond to an email. No, it's um, really not. I'm, I'm very happy to do it. Thank you for having me. And uh, I wish you the best of luck with your Patreon endeavor. And it's a great place to be. I think uh, I always say a high Patreon tide raises all Patreon boats. So if we, <laughs> everyone on Patreon should want all other Patreons to do well. And sure. Because it brings people to the platform. So, uh, yeah, I wish you the very best. And I hope this uh, is enjoyable to your audience. Thank you so much, man. Appreciate it. That was our first uh, patron video. I hope you enjoyed the open conversation with Colin Moriarty. Stay tuned for more. Obviously, more coming down the line. But until next time, see ya.